Isn't this wonderful? No snowstorm. Sun's out. God's good. He's good even when the sun's not out. Amen. You ever been surprised by something or someone in your life to where you're maybe a little speechless or just in shock? Have you ever experienced a surprise birthday party, for instance, and weren't expecting it and it just got you good? Or perhaps you had some kind of a surprise recognition given to you that you weren't expecting and it just blessed you uh, deep down into your soul. Uh, I love when this experience happens. I haven't seen somebody for a long time and, and maybe I have a surprise meeting with them at Walmart or at some town I don't expect them to be in or something. And you just kind of cross paths with somebody who you know and love dearly and you get that moment where you can reconnect with them and it's kind of organic and not very uh, scripted. I, I like that kind of thing. At, at Williston, at New Hope Church, we had a pastor in there whose name was Tom. Uh, good guy. He's now working at the district, uh, on the district level. And he used to hide out in the office in the morning or in various parts of the church. And as staff people would come into church, guess what he would do? He would scare them. He would jump out from behind a door or one time he hid behind my office door and got me good. I told him never to do that again if he still wanted his job. But um, he would scare people continually. So one time I remember this really good. It was, it was great. We were at, in church before he got there. Vicky saw him coming uh, and she decided to hide and get him. And so she hid behind, I think it was a countertop in the kitchen or somewhere in the kitchen of the church. And Tom was oblivious. You could just see this happening. So he walks into the kitchen, and I, I wasn't there, so I just heard her describe this to me. I think I got this right. But she goes, ha, you know, and jumps out. He goes down to the floor in the fetal position, right? And I think he shook a little bit. And, um, and then she actually felt a little bit bad, and I told her, don't feel bad about that. He deserves it. And he said, to his credit, you got me good. You got me real good. But uh, you ever been surprised like that, where you just are so kind of shocked and, and taken aback that maybe you're speechless? I tend to be a bit of a day, do you remember? I've admitted that before uh, to you all. And so last year, at our district conference meeting in June in Rapid City, we were having this big, long meeting. And I don't know how you do meetings. I don't do real well meetings, especially when they're four or five, six hours long. And so I'm kind of daydreaming, thinking about other things. Not that the meeting isn't important. It's important, and they're covering important stuff. And, uh, but I tell you what, I was disconnected. And I kind of vaguely heard Wes uh, Smith, our our. Uh, district superintendent saying, yeah, we're going to recognize some people now. I'm going to give a $100 bill to those who have taken a, a big risk over this last year. Uh, and I really honestly wasn't paying attention. <laughs> and he called my name out. <laughs> and, and, and the reason he called my name out was that we were w willing to take on the risk of, of Watertown, which, I mean, that's just what you do. You know, because you love God and you love other people, we're willing to partner with Watertown and help them through a revitalization process. Anyway, he was saying that was a big risk-taking moment for us as a church, blah, blah, blah. And he was going to give me $100. And I was shocked. I, I think some people said I looked shocked, partly because I had no idea what was going on. I had to quickly kind of catch up with what just transpired here and why is he giving me $100? And then I caught up real quick and, of course, uh, I was really shocked in a good way. I still have that $100 in my wallet. I haven't figured out what 
to do with it yet. I know a lot of you probably have some suggestions on how I could spend it, but it sits in my wallet to today as a reminder of maybe that I should pay more attention. Um, there also could be surprise admonishments that we experience in life, surprise rebukes sometimes that maybe aren't so happy. I remember when I first began to work at 3M, um, I was uh, pretty outspoken for Jesus Christ, but I was pretty uh, new to the faith still and a little bit rough around the edges. And, and my language wasn't always the greatest. Uh, might be a little crude at times or whatever. And I, I remember one day at work, uh, one of my fellow workers who was uh, a Catholic in his background uh, said when I said something that was inappropriate for a Christ follower to say. And then when I said that particular thing, it took away from my Christian witness. And I remember thinking, who are you to tell me this? You know, uh, I don't even know if you're a real Christian. Quote, you know, all those stupid things you think, right? And I begin to rationalize and begin to justify in my mind until I heard the voice of the Lord speaking and saying, he's right. And I want to do a transformation work in you through and through. And you need to quit talking like this. It takes away from the kingdom of God. And it was a surprise. I wasn't ready for it. I wasn't expecting that source. I wasn't expecting it to happen in that situation. Have you ever been surprised like that? I want you to think about your own life for a moment here. And when you've just been really surprised and taken aback, maybe shocked by something that's happened to you, good or bad, how did that make you feel? And how did that open you up? And how did that change uh, maybe your excitement level and your mood? Because what we're going to look at today is how oftentimes in Jesus Christ, we experience what I call a surprise. In fact, a given of Jesus, and this is a point, is that he frequently surprises. He frequently surprises. And it's a way of getting our attention. It's a way of gripping our hearts. We're to the second half of John chapter 4 uh, this morning. And last week we looked at the first half of John chapter 4 and the encounter that Jesus Christ had with the Samaritan woman at the well. And the whole interaction that he uh, reveals or that we uh, get revealed to us is one of, of surprise. It's that kind of a nature. And I'm not going to uh, uh, talk in great deal, detail this morning on the first half of John chapter 4, but I want to do a quick review because it's important to get the setting so that you can engage with what I'm going to share with you this morning when we get to the second half of John chapter 4. But I want you to look at this through the lens of surprise, or even this review of surprise. Here's review point number one. In that culture, men, especially rabbis, didn't associate with women. That's just shocking. It's surprising that Jesus would do that. Um, Jesus, being tired of thirsty, stopped at this well, and he asked the Samaritan woman, for some water to drink from the well, and she is shocked by that. And as we looked into last week, we realized that part of what Jesus does in our lives is bust right through barriers that keep us distant from God. And he was doing that very thing with the woman at the well at that time. But get this about the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, in him, there's this inclusiveness that's just almost shocking and surprising. He tears down all kinds of barriers, racial, uh, status, economic, social, whatever it might be. He just tears those things all down and just demolishes them. We're told that very thing in Scripture. For instance, Colossians 3.11 says, uh, in Jesus Christ there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian or Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all 
and is in all. And then if you go over to Galatians chapter 3, 28, the same thing's kind of reiterated there where it says there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, There's, uh, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. This is one of those good surprises that in Jesus we can come to him. He, he stands open-armed and he says, come to me, come to me. I welcome all. I, I, I have no you know, criteria about who you are. Just come to me in faith. I, I love that. I grew up in a family that was really quite disconnected. In fact, if I was honest and talking about my growing up years, I felt like I was on my own. And even in my family, I felt like an over, uh, outsider that I was trying to figure out how to survive and how to get along from, you know, and just kind of exist. And then on top of that, I was saying this to my, my wife uh, a while back, you know, we got bused 13 miles to school. I lived in Brooklyn Park, and they bused us up along the Mississippi River all the way through Anoka to Anoka High School. And it was a 13-mile bus ride every day and back. And so I never felt part of that school because I didn't live in that area. It was a totally different township, totally different kind of, uh, you know, area. And so I felt all through my high school years like I was an outsider to the high school that I went to. So I felt like an outsider in my home life, and I felt like an outsider when it came to school. And one of the things that was so good for my soul was when I came to Christ, I felt like an insider. I felt like he just welcomed me. And it was just so deeply inviting and refreshing to me as a person. How are you doing when it comes to Jesus Christ in your own life? Are you feeling embraced? Are you feeling like, I belong, I'm part of the family of God? Because it's just surprising that he would invite us in with this open arms, but that is the fact of the matter, amen? That he invites you to come and be part of his family. Second review point is this. The Samaritan woman's reputation was questionable. As the encounter unfolds and as we begin to realize who this woman is, uh, Jesus says, go get your husband. And she says, I have none. He says, that's right, you've had five, and now you're living with a man who's not your husband. And we begin to see some, you know, life uh, her, of her life, of, of her heart here unfolding before us. And, 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 and she, she just is having her life laid bare here. And that's what Jesus does. And, and her reputation is really questionable. And I don't know about you, when I come to Lord Jesus Christ, I think, you know what, Lord, if, if people could see me and see my heart of hearts and my true reputation, it'd be very questionable. How about you? As Christ drills into your life, deep into what you think in your heart of hearts, what does he see in the depths of your soul? The good news is that as surprising and shocking as that is, as surprising and shocking as it was to see who this woman was at the well, what did Jesus say? I'm going to give you living water. I want to give you living water if you'll just come to me. That's just shocking and that's surprising. And then the last review point is this. She's a Samaritan. She was shocked that Jesus, being a Jew, would ask her, being a Samaritan, for a drink. That just didn't happen. That was so out of the box that she was having really, honestly, a hard time processing it. That this Jewish man, this Jewish rabbi would talk to her, a Samaritan, who was considered an outcast in that day, in that age. So at times, we're so shocked and so surprised by Jesus Christ that it's hard to really 
embrace the truth of what he's bringing to us. You ever been there? Has it ever been your situation with him? Now we're set up to read the second half of John chapter 4. I'm going to read to you verses 27 through 42 this morning of John chapter 4. Just then, his disciples returned and were what? They were surprised to find him talking with the woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying? It's still four months into harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we've heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is, hear this, the Savior of the world. So the Samaritan woman is so surprised by Jesus, so in shock of his revelations about her life, that, he, that she leaves her water jar, the very thing she came to do, the very task she came to accomplish, she just leaves the water jar there, and she goes back to her people and testifies about what Jesus has told her. Listen, now hear this. No one had to encourage her to speak about Jesus. No one had to give her four spiritual laws to share about Jesus Christ to be an effective witness. What happened? She was so surprised and so excited, she couldn't contain it. It just came out of her life. She experienced what I call a change moment. Jesus so impacted her that she became receptive then to the offer of the living water, and she told everybody about it. She just talked to everybody about it. You get a sense of her wonderment when she says, this man told me everything I've ever done. Could he be the Messiah? I love just the rawness of this encounter. Just the openness and the honesty here of what takes place that she's so profoundly touched, she just couldn't help but talking about it. I think sometimes we make sharing our faith a little more complicated than we need to. We try to get those, especially those who have been in the faith for a long time, maybe 30, 40, 50 years like me, we try to get them to share with others about their faith because it has become old and routine and we have helps to do that kind of sharing, how to witness. And nothing of of that nature is necessarily wrong, but here's what I want to propose to you this morning. I think if you and I are profoundly touched by Jesus Christ and that we're having fresh encounters with him and having life's changed in him, that like the Samaritan woman, we just can't contain it. 
We just can't hold it in. And we go back to our people, whoever they may be, and it just comes out. We just talk about it because we're so crazy in love with him. And the Samaritan people are so impressed by the Samaritan woman's testimony that uh, they check Jesus out for themselves. Let's leave this part of the story for a moment because there's two stories that are taking place here. One of the Samaritan woman and one of the disciples. And the disciples, they're almost the opposite story of that of the Samaritan woman. They aren't getting what's going on at all. Uh, We begin our reading this way. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked him, what do you want? Why are you talking with her? I I love this. No one asked or questioned Jesus, what are you doing? But they wondered in their mind, what are you doing here? And then they said, Jesus, you need to eat. They entirely missed what was transpiring that Jesus was talking on this deep faith level with this woman so hopelessly lost. And there was this divine moment, this divine thing happening right before their very eyes. They missed that. And they say to Jesus, do you want a burger? Because that's basically what they're saying. Surely you're hungry. Let's go get some fries or something, you know. And, and then he's talking life with this Samaritan woman who's desperately lost. And these disciples who are supposed to be on mission with him and followers of him and getting this go, do you want to eat? We think you might be hungry, Rabbi. Evidently, you must be famished because you're talking to a woman. See, I call this a grand missing of the moment. The disciples missed what was going on as they worried about the wrong things. They just missed entirely what was going on. I think we can be distracted. And I'm putting myself in this category. I think we can get distracted by the wrong things easily. I could talk on these things that we should not be distracted by, but I'd rather talk on what we should be captured by this morning. So I want to talk with you about what ought to capture our heart for just a few moments. I'm taking a little tangent here, okay? So I'm leaving the story of both the Samaritan woman and the disciples, and I'm just going to talk with you, all right? Are you all right with that? Just so you can follow along with what's going on this morning. Uh, 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 Two weeks ago, I spent a few days in Tampa Bay, or Tampa, excuse me, attending a cohort there on church mobilization. And Vicki and I also used the time to spend some, you know, downtime at Clearwater Beach. I'll just be honest with you, that was fun. And so when we were there in this cohort, I was there along with 30 other uh, pastors from Wesleyan churches of, of a larger size. We, we were at the underground church in Tampa and looking at their model and how they're reaching uh, that urban culture uh, for Jesus Christ. And basically what the, the underground church is, is a church that's comprised of about 118 small churches that are all doing their own thing, and then collectively they're called the underground church, and they kind of share uh, some structure together and some administrative things together, but they're pretty much independently acting in that community. They're responding to a calling that God's placed on their lives to meet a certain need in that urban uh, culture. And I'm not going to go into that much more this morning, uh, just so you get some background there uh, of what that church was like and what we were looking at. But then what I begin to do is drill into what, what's behind this thing, what's driving this, this movement of God in, in Tampa. And what I saw were some things that just leaped out. One, it was about people passionately following Jesus Christ, giving their whole life in the pursuit of following Jesus Christ. 
there was this real prevailing thought that we're all part of the priesthood of God. And as the priesthood of God, we're, we're, we have a call in our lives to serve, to be on mission. Mission was huge with this group of people. And they believed that Jesus so radically was impacting their life that they wanted him to impact the lives of those that they knew and loved and felt called to minister uh, to. Doesn't that sound like the Samaritan woman? She was so impacted by Jesus, so passionate uh, about pursuing him uh, that she just, what, naturally went back to her people group and started sharing about him to anybody that would listen to her. I think a takeaway for me is this. We're to use our relationships and our influence to affect our people groups, whatever they might be, the ones that we know and love and are part of, to serve as everyday missionaries to this group of people with this sense of being God's priest, being part of his priesthood. It's supposed to be organic and natural, I think. And I want to encourage you this morning, press into it. Press into it. Because the more you press into Jesus, the more this kind of thing I, thing I think is the outcome. Remember that each one of us, each one of us, as Ephesians 2.10 says, Ephesians 2.10 says, each one of us is God's handiwork. Each one of us is God's masterpiece. And we're created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he foreordained. We're, 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 we're unique in that regard. And as, as 1 Peter 4.10 says, God has given us gifts of grace, each one of us, so that we can administer his grace and his fullness to those around us. And so in plain words, what I'm saying is that Jesus has recreated us gracing us with talent and spiritual gifts and places of influence and a calling to be God's priesthood out there, bringing the church to bear on people's everyday life. So we're everyday missionaries bringing the church of Christ into our worlds. There are four words. This is still not in your note, guys, but I'm still going to just share it. So you, you, you do with it what you want, but I just want to share my heart this morning. There are four words that just captured me that I thought were behind everything that was being said at this whole cohort uh, in Tampa. One was this understanding that we're always to be a worshiper of God, first and foremost, in whatever we do. And by worshiper of God, they mean more than singing music, although I love singing music. I love what you do, Kyle. I just love singing music. Uh, but it's more than that. In everything we do, first and foremost, we're called to glorify Jesus Christ in how we do it and to think of him in the doing of it. Secondly, we're all called to always be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Now, disciple means you know some things, so that's knowledge, but you also have wisdom. You apply them. You put them into practice. So I'm constantly being a disciple. I'm following Jesus, whether at work and play or in church or wherever it be the situation. Third thing, and I think this is so important. We talk about this a lot here at Grace Point. Third thing that I saw there at that cohort, and I think this is so true of us, is that we're called into authentic community. We're called to be authentic people with no political agendas. And I don't mean politics on the grand scale. I mean on a small scale. 
We're called to have just no agendas, and we're called to authentically care about those around us, whether it be our church family, our work family, our biological family. We're called to authentic community. And lastly, this is where the Tampa Church maybe even is over the top on a little bit. We're called to a mission. We have a calling of God to serve. For them, that's what drives their whole church structure. Is all these people have callings to various parts of the city and various issues and, 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 and concern to the city. But we all are to be a mission. So think about this with me for a few moments, how they would change how we do um, our Christian walk. For instance, so say I belong to a group. I think groups are great. Okay? If you're in a group, good for you. So if I'm in a group, these four things should be part of that group experience. One, of course, is a, it's a centering on Jesus Christ and everything we do and say, we can mutually encourage each other in our, our, our walk in the Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, this is about discipleship. So it's more than a Bible study. It's more than learning some facts about. So sometimes, I'm going to say this bluntly. I hope you take this right. Sometimes we can hide behind the Bible study and not reveal who we are. We can study and we can argue about God's word and we can say, what does this mean? What does that mean? But all the time, we're not really experiencing discipleship because discipleship says I take that and I transparently put it into my life and I choose to live it. Third, we can experience true authentic community, right? We can begin to pray for one another and care about one another and genuinely know each other's lives. But fourthly, what's the mission of our gathering that supersedes just the gathering together? What's the calling that God has on us as a group of people? What can we do that maybe no other group is doing? How do you want us to do that, God? That's where it gets dicey and a little hard that we probably need to do some work here. Now, take the same thing into your workplace. You're first and foremost a worshiper. So when you go to work every day, you used to say, God, I give this day to you. How can I glorify you in thought, word, and deed today? How can I glorify you in how I treat others? How can I bring the kingdom of God to bear in this small little piece of, of, of the planet called my workspace? Amen? Secondly, God, I'm a disciple. So everything that happens to me today is for the furtherance of my development in you. How do I use it in that way? How do I take what people say to me? And how do I do things in such a way that I am furthering your work in me as a follower? Thirdly, I got some people around me that are probably hurting, probably have a life story that I need to have a listening ear and care about them in a genuine way and experience genuine community. They may not ever experience genuine community. I may be the only person they ever have a chance to experience that with. Fourthly, what's my calling here, God? What's my mission? I know it's to do work, but what's beyond that? I used to say this all the time when I went to 3M. I'm God's holy experiment today. God, I want you to use me in ways that bring glory to you. And I know that this work I'm doing is from you. So let me do it in such a way that it brings glory to you. I'm on mission for you today, God. I'm on something greater than accomplishing and making a new brand of tape today. As important as that was to 3M. Amen? Okay. Wouldn't that change how you do work? Wouldn't this change how you do family? Anyway, I'm done with my tangent. We're back to the message. I'm going to go back to the disciples. Talk a little bit more how they missed mission. They didn't fully know Jesus' mission. Therein lied the problem. They wondered why he was talking to this Samaritan woman. If they were on mission, I would say this. They would wonder why he wouldn't talk to this woman. Because after all, he came to seek and save that which was lost. Was she not lost? He came for the very thing that he was doing. To save a soul. But they were out of touch, and they didn't understand that basic mission of Jesus Christ. Secondly, they had the wrong priority, eating. 
<laughs> Jesus prioritizes the spiritual. He said, I have food you're not aware of. My food is to do the will of the Father. Let's talk about characteristics of effective sharing here. I'm going to move along rather quickly now. I think if we want to really be part of a movement of God, whether it be here locally in this area or globally as part of what God is doing, I I think there's some characteristics that we need to understand that are brought forth in this story of the Samaritan woman. First of all, the move of God is fresh and impactful and uncontainable. So if you really want to be part of God's movement and what he's going to do, there has to be this encounter going on with God that's impacting you continuously and is uncontainable. It burns within your heart. Um, you just need to get excited about it or pray that God would create an excitement in you. I remember when Nate was a teenager. Well, he was an early teenager. Maybe he was only 12 or 13. I don't remember the exact age. It doesn't matter. He brought a buddy with him to our lake place in, in, in north of Brainerd, Minnesota. And they went out one day fishing. And they went across uh, the part of the lake that we're on. The, our lake is like two-lobed. And you can kind of see across the lake. And he was fishing over in a great place for catching bass. And pretty soon I, I, I knew they had caught something. You know why? They got real loud. They started screaming, and I thought they were going to tip that boat over. They were standing up, jumping up and down in that boat, and they're yelling at me. I was on the shore. They're yelling at me across the lake. I can't hear what they're saying. They're like a half a mile away. I don't know what it is, but it's a long way away. All I can tell is they did something over there that's exciting. And so they're coming back in this boat, and Nate's driving the boat, and Brant's in the front of the boat with his buddy, and he's waving a fish at me. I mean, they're halfway across the lake, waving this old fish, great big old, so excited. I mean, I've not seen two boys more excited than that. And they get up on shore, and I, you know, I was just gravitated towards them because they were loud. And they jump out of the boat, and it was about a five-pound bass. It was a big bass, they caught. And they were saying, oh, look at this bass. And Nate's so excited. He said, Dad, look at this. You think we should eat it? I said, probably, because it's dead. That fish has not seen water since the time you left and came over here. You've been waving it at me the whole time. You eat it now, you throw it back in, it's just going to float away. You know what I mean? And they ate it and it was terrible, they told me, because it was the wrong time of the year and it was a little bit too large. But no one had to tell them to share with me. Why did they share with me? They were excited about what took place. I want to tell you this, friends in Jesus The best witnesses for Jesus are those who are simply excited about what he's doing in their life. And it's just uncontainable, and it just naturally spills out of you. I'm not saying we shouldn't learn some methods, and we shouldn't do things on purpose. I'm not saying that. But I tell you what, a move of God is an organic thing. And it happens when people like you and I just can't contain it anymore. Amen? We just can't help but talking about it. And it's just God moving in our lives. Second thing, start with those you know and just tell them about what Jesus has done in your life. Don't make this complicated. Don't make it hard. Next week, we're going to look at an a, a interview that Kirk Cousins had with Chris Myers. And um, if we can't get the actual interview, I'll read you the transcript. But it was just a moving thing to watch this guy just talk about his faith and be so open and honest with Chris Myers. I'll say that for next week. Put a little salt on the oats so you want to hear the story if you haven't heard it yet. But this Samaritan woman went back, what did she do? She just said, I've met this guy. He just told me everything about my life. Could he be the Messiah? Let's check it out, right? She was just excited. And they all wanted to hear for themselves. And so they went and heard for themselves and they believed. 
Sometimes sharing is just simply testifying because you're just so excited and you can't help it. Here's our takeaway today. I don't think we need more methods to do life better in Jesus. I don't think we need more methods to be able to share Jesus more effectively. I think we need to have a fresh encounter with him, with the living Lord that becomes something that we can't contain. I pray that for us a lot. My prayer, when I pray for you all, when I pray for God to move in our midst, I, I just, I, I, I pray this, you know, Jesus, all I want is for the people of Grace Point just to love you with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. All I want is for you to move in our midst so much that we just get excited and we can't contain it. That's how I pray. And I pray that you would have that same prayer for yourselves and for those around you, for your neighborhoods, for your family members that you love and for those that God lays on your heart. You know, it's a good pray to pray, pray or good prayers can be to pray, God, would you just move on them in such a way that they just can't help but find you? That it's just uncontainable. It's, that's God. Isn't that our God? That's how the early church started. Peter preached. Yeah, the small assembly, a few thousand people, amen. And they were so cut to the heart. They were so cut to the heart. They said, what do we need to do here? What do we need to do? And he says, listen, repent and believe in Jesus Christ. It just was, there was an excitement. There was an anointing. There was a moving of the Holy Spirit. I tell you what, those, my friends, are the elements that, that I desire to experience as a church. How about you? I'm going to leave you with that thought today, and I pray that that's your heart also. Let's pray. Would you bow your heads? Lord God, I want to thank you for this uh, story in John chapter 4 of the Samaritan woman at the well. I want to thank you about the surprise characteristic of it all, the out-of-the-box characteristic of it all, the shock and awe of, of what was going on. And I, I want to pray, Lord Jesus, that that would be our experience in you also that uh, we'd be open to whatever you want to do, Lord. And sometimes it's going to shock us, throw us right out of our box of comfort. Sometimes it's just something we can hardly believe. Like I know for me, when I was a young man, feeling like such an outsider all the time, I was in such shock that I could just come to you and you were just open-armed in receiving of me, Lord. I, would, I remember, I just couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't, wrap my mind around it at that time that that could actually be true and that simple. That's who you are, Lord. That's who you are. I praise you for that. And I pray today for us as a church that we'd have a fresh encounter, Jesus, in you. A fresh encounter of your power and your grace that it would just go deep into our hearts and create in us this excitement that's uncontainable. And I think everything else just kind of falls into its place then. And I want to pray, Lord, that Grace Point would be known as a place where there's a bunch of crazy people in love with Jesus in a crazy way. So Holy Spirit, would you fill our hearts this morning? Would you cause us to love our Savior, Jesus? Would you bring his words and his thoughts into our minds and into our hearts this day? Holy Spirit, would you just minister to us this way, I pray. And I pray that you would be a hedge of protection around each one of us. Guard our hearts, Lord. They're so easily bruised, so easily wounded so easily offended. Just guard our hearts today, we pray to Jesus. And I pray that we go forth from here just excited to be in you and in love with you 
And I pray for your anointing to be upon each one here this morning in a powerful way. May we be like the Samaritan woman. May it just be uncontainable. God, we love you and praise you. And all God's people said, 